Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 142 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 31st of January 2016, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 19. And the Bible readings are taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 24. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 1, we'll be taking our scripture reading beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. We'll read through verse 28, and then we will go to chapter 2, verses 15 to 24. So I invite you to stand today to honor the most precious and holy word of our Lord as we read from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Then in chapter 2, verse 15 And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. The rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her into the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, Shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Father, again we ask your blessing upon your word. Lord, we plead not because we deserve it, but because we stand in such great need. Lord, that you would take and speak to our hearts at this time. Give us that which is needed, all for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's interesting with the times that we come together in God's house. Time and again as we come together, people come 
all kind of things on their minds and all kind of expectations. People come together for all kinds of reasons from all kinds of places. But we ought never to forget that we are here for him. The amazing thing is we come together because we want to worship him. We want to glorify him. We want to magnify him. And as a church, we come together for lots of different times. But when you really look at it, it's a very small time out of our lives, even if we're faithful to every time that the church family comes together. One of the most important things that we come together for is to come around God's Word. God's Word. We don't worship it as an idol that we lay on the shelf and pray before it. But I would remind you this morning that it was the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. Have you ever thought about trying to separate yourself from your Word, from your Logos, from everything that is within you that is the concept of everything that you do, from your communication, from the words that you speak, can you separate the two? You see, I believe just as surely as you can hear my voice this morning that this is the voice of God, that he has preserved for us. This is how God speaks to us. That's why it remains central in all that we do. We come together on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock to study God's Word. We come together at 11 o'clock to worship Him. And again, God's Word is a part of that. On Sunday evenings, on Wednesday evenings, we come together to join our hearts in prayer and communicate to God, but we also, God's Word is a part of that as we allow Him to communicate to us. For those that have not been here, of course, that's why that a few years back we began this series on contending for the faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, the fundamentals of that faith that we are to stand for, the foundations that that faith is built upon. Last Sunday, we came back to our topic in that series right now on the Genesis account. And of course, we had spent some time there going through the book of Genesis. We departed for a while and we've come back there now. And so last week I took about four sermons and tried to compact them into a review because before we move on, we want to remind ourselves of the foundations that have been laid in the book of Genesis. Folks, these things are vital. We think sometimes that we don't need to be here, that we don't need to, to be in God's Word, that we don't need to hear things that maybe we have thought we've heard preached all of our lives. Well, I would assure you, I've been preaching most of my life, and I still need it over and over again. God's Word, there is no other book in all the world that you can go to as many times as you want, you can study as much as you want, and you will never exhaust it. You will never have everything that's in there. It's bottomless. It's inexhaustible because God is. All that we know, everything that we know is so 
minute in comparison to what God knows. And if God is communicating to us, we will never arrive at a point that God can't communicate to us or that we don't need God to communicate to us. God forbid, as a church, that we would ever come to a point that anything is more central to us coming together than God speaking to us in our midst. You see, whoever you are this morning, wherever you are in your life, whatever your spiritual condition, the truth is you need God's word this morning. I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I love you. If you're here and you're lost, I want you to be saved. I want you to come and grasp and understand the message that will change your life, that will give you life for all of eternity. There is nothing else out there. You can't go anywhere this morning outside of God's word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is for you today that you might know him and have a relationship with him. We're not here for a religious ceremony. We're not here just to do what is traditional. We're here for God to speak to us. We also would realize that if you're here today, and you are saved, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, may I say to you, this is for you today. God wants to speak to you. God has something fresh for you. God wants to give you something that will cleanse you and encourage you and build you up. So as we continue in our thoughts after being away, again, our purpose today, remember, I said to you last week, I'm going to be hitting a lot of things and I'm going to be making statements that we expounded on very much when we were going through our series on Genesis. So if you've got questions about some of the statements I made, because I know you don't want me to take the time to try to put it all into one sermon, come to me. I'm happy to give it to you in print. They're all online on the, on the website. But as we look back today, remember that last Sunday, we looked at this whole idea of the Genesis account and that it is foundational for so many great doctrines of the Bible. We saw that it's the Genesis account that is foundational for the authority of God's word. It is foundational for the very assertion of God's existence that he is, that he's there, and for the absoluteness of God's creation. Yes, God created everything from nothing, and he did it in six days and rested on the seventh. I remind you, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 11:3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, you see, on the one hand, all that we've been doing in this series for these years is trying to sure up those foundations. That's what the fundamentals, the foundations, is what our faith is built upon. It's the things you cannot take away from it. The book of Genesis is foundational to the rest of God's word. So as we carry on this morning, I want to direct your attention once again to the passages that we've read this morning 
Because as we look forward now, not only is the Genesis account foundational to the authority of God's word, to the assertion of his existence, to the absoluteness of his creation, but also to the advancement of the human race. You see, this is a very simple foundational truth. But it is essential to our Christian faith. If, as we have seen, that God is responsible for creating that first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, where does the human race fit into all of this? Well, he tells us very clearly in our reading there, in chapter 1 and verse 28, and God blessed him, and God said unto them, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. You see, the Genesis account declares that everything that is is a result of God and that all the human race came from his first creation, Adam. He created Adam in his own image. From that, he created woman, and they were given the command to multiply, to replenish the whole earth as God's creation. That was the first thing that he asked of them. And Adam and Eve did precisely what God asked them to do. We can look over into Genesis chapter 4, and he tells us very, very clearly, we see just in the first two verses of that chapter, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. They gave birth to their first child, but she knew that that child was from God. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. The advancement of the entire human race began with Adam and Eve there in the garden. And it continued through their offspring and continues the same way today as we gather here. We are all. Every one of us, we are a very, very multicultural, multinational congregation, but regardless of where your background is, regardless of what nation you might have been born in, regardless of what color your skin is, regardless of what language that you speak, we are all of the same seed. There is where our beginning was. This foundational truth is essential to the understanding of so many teachings that follow. And if everybody could grasp that in the world today, it could go a long, long ways in trying to do away with the, a lot of the differences where everybody's trying to, to wipe out the other one or get the better of the other one, get the ones up on them. You see, if we came from somewhere besides Adam, Many, many, not only of just the principles of our life, but the very doctrines of Scripture will crumble before our eyes. You can't say that you believe in so many of these other doctrines and yet not take this one literally as the Word of God gives it to us. You see, you stop and think a minute. Any of these, if you take away the authority of God's Word, 
if you take away the existence of God, if you take away God's creation and all that is being his creation, if you take away the advancement of the human race, wherever we are, wherever we're from, we came from one, one seed, God's creation there in the garden. I say again, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The advancement of the human race is foundational on the Genesis account. But not only that, in these things that we have seen here, it is also foundational to the very accountability of mankind. The verse goes on, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And then what's the next thing he says to them? He says, replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God gives them specific responsibilities. And of course, along with those responsibilities came a requirement for them to obey what God was asking of them. They were accountable for their actions. God said, this is what I want you to do. They became accountable as to whether they did what God told them. They could either obey or they could disobey. The man, woman, and later, their offspring are personally responsible. He said, first of all here, we've just seen for the advancement of the human race. That's the first thing he told them. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's the only way that life could continue. Scientists have done a lot of weird and wonderful things in the laboratories. And they can do an awful lot of strange things to life that already exist but they've never created life from nothing. They have to start with something. God created it from nothing. All that lives is his creation. But then as he created all that was, he asked them also, he says, and subdue it. What does it mean to subdue something? It simply means to take control of it. They were being held accountable to control this earth as God desired it for human use and for God's glory. We are accountable in the way that we live our lives. We are accountable in the way that we control our lives and society around us. He went on to have dominion over all the earth and all other life upon this earth. Man was made in God's own image. And the one that God made in his own image, he was now giving responsibility, being held responsible to control, to rule over everything else that God had made as God's representative. You see, that's what when so many times when we get this idea that somehow it belongs to me, it belongs to us, no, 
It belongs to God. We are accountable for how we use it and what we do with it. That's what dispensations is all about, how we manage all that God has given us. You see, it shows us something here too. It shows us the uniqueness of man in creation, the uniqueness of you as a human being this morning, the position above everything else that God created, but also the greatest responsibility over all that God created to advance the human race, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over the earth, to care for God's creation. You see, along with that responsibility to to rule over it, God gave us the responsibility to care for it. He went on there in our reading in chapter 2 and beginning in verse 7, we find that God gave man everything that he needed in creation. But along with it, he gave man the responsibility of what he would do with it. It's important to note that at this point, when God gave him these responsibilities, it was before the fall. Though it undoubtedly becomes much harder after the fall, even here in the Garden of Eden, in a perfect, sinless society. God gave man responsibilities. He gave him work to do. He had things to, 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 that he was responsible to accomplish to do. Work is an important and, and, and a dignified part of man's responsibilities in representing and serving God. The Bible has no place for laziness. Even there in that sinless society, they still had work to do. And of course, along with that came the responsibilities to obey God's commandment. You see, verse 16 and 17 The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, folks, as near as I can tell, this is the first prohibition ever given to man not to do something. God has given him some things to do, but this is the first prohibition. Don't do this. As God places him there in the garden and he instructs him on all these things that he is to do, this is his first command, the first one, the only one that he's been given that we know of at this point of what he can't do. And of course, we also find here for the first time in verse 17, the consequences of disobeying God. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Why? For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God warned man. Do you realize at that point in time, man was created in the image of God. He was created as an eternal being. And without sin, there was no death. But God said, if you do this, you 
will surely die. God created everything that is from nothing. And in his greatest act of creation, he created mankind. What was he said there in verse 26? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. We already looked at the plurality of that in one God. 2.7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man alone was created in the image of God. He alone, God breathed into and made a living soul. And of course, as such, he was made as a free moral agent with choices to make. He could obey and experience the great consequences, the great blessings of God that God had for him, or he could disobey and face the consequences of disobedience, which he's already told them is death. He could believe God by faith and he could experience life. Or in his unbelief, he could experience death. You see, we're all united in the seed of Adam. Even here today, we have the same choice that he had in the garden. And because of these foundational truths that we find here in God's Word, the same choices to make that Adam made, you have the same choice that the Apostle Paul declared. When in Acts chapter 17, he was preaching from Mars Hill in Athens. And he tells them here in Acts chapter 17, in verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I want to declare to you the God that you don't know. God that made the world and all things therein. Seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with man's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. They should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us, we're in him. We live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think 
that the Godhead is like to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. How be it? Certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysus, Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. You see, Paul took his people that didn't know God. He took them back to the God of creation that we're reading about here in Genesis, the God that was responsible for all of life. And, you know, he made a very important point there. That regardless of who they were or where they came from, what nation they might be, you are who you are by God's plan. You are the people, you are the family that you are because God planned it that way. And whoever you are and wherever you're from and whatever your background, he wants you to know Jesus Christ. He wants you to have life with him, eternal and everlasting. I remind you of the choice that you have today, just like those on Mars Hill, a choice that only you can make, a choice that you must and will most certainly make one way or the other to say, because see, in the end, there were some of them when they heard about the resurrection that they just mocked and made fun of such a crazy idea. There were some of them that said, oh, well, well, we'll think about this and do something later. And there were those that believed. Well, you see, that's really the only choices you have today. You'll either disbelieve, you'll try to put it off and hope that you've got another chance, or you will believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only choices that we have. You see, each and every one of us individually are accountable for the choices that we make. I want to remind you of this this morning very, very, very clearly because if you grasp and care for nothing else that I've said today, I want you to understand just as Paul stood and preached to those in Athens that as we look into God's word today, it is God from his word that says in Romans 3 and chapter and, and verse 19, he says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus Christ. Where's boasting? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You see, there is no other option. We are all guilty. We must all accept or reject. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 9, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Today, we still have the same choice. You will make a choice today. Adam and Eve made a choice in the garden. In Romans chapter 10, he says, but what saith it? The word is nigh even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. It's there. God's showing you. God's speaking to you. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's you today. That's what God wants for you today. We find that, I just want to remind you of this final simple thought. As we keep those things in mind, every one of us today are here. The advancement of the entire human race begins right here in the book of Genesis. You're here because of what took place in the garden, because of what God did, because that God is our creator. We are accountable to him, each and every one of us. Do you know that there are few things under attack today, more so than the family, 
in the home. You see, even God, as he deals with these things, as he tries to make us one with him, as he gives us those opportunities, it also is the foundation for your home, for the home life as we know it today is laid for us here. Oh, yes, God gives much instruction all through the word of God on how we can have strong homes and strong family relationships. But the foundations are laid right here. And again, if those foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What else do we have? You see, he tells us here in chapter 2 and in verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. The foundational principles of the home. Now, some of those principles are not popular. <laughs> and some of them are certainly not politically correct. as We know them today. They've been abandoned by most of society. And as a result have left homes that are being built or trying to be built without proper foundations, without the foundations that are necessary for them to be strong and to withstand the storms that will come against them. We don't have time to go through them all, but God gives us five specific principles here for the home. Folks, we live in a society that's turned from all of the foundations that God has given us the first one we find here, he said it was not good for man to be alone. The first one, marriage, matrimony. Man was not complete. God wasn't finished. He says, I will make him and help that is meet, that is suitable for this creation. His intention to create a helper for man. Man, man needed a lot of help. A helper that when put together with man, would complement him, would complete him to make him everything that he could be. God brought all the animals, everything that he created. He brought them before Adam here. And Adam gave every one of them names. But then he brought him something else that was different. What did he say there in verse 23? And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is now. You notice in your, in your Bible there, if you're using a King James, that, that word is is in italics. That means it's been put in. They were honest enough to show in the original that word wasn't there, but for it to make sense in the English, it's been put in there. In the original, it just said, this now, this now. I mean, stop and think for a minute. I can tell you that, man, I can remember from a little child. Some of those vivid memories are some of the first times that I saw some of God's creation, some of those beautiful creatures, those beautiful animals. I remember going to the zoo even as a youngster and being amazed at them as an adult. I guess one of the most amazing things that I can honestly say is, is when we had that privilege to, to go to, to Kenya and to go on that safari and to see those beautiful beasts out there. I want you to stop and imagine for a moment. Adam is there. 
all the beautiful animals and creatures and everything that you've ever seen in your life or wanted to see, every one of them were brought before Adam. He just marched them across there and Adam was naming them and calling them by names, each and every one of them. But then, this now, it's like, you know, he's seen the most beautiful of the beautiful, and then God brings this woman to him. This now. It's like, wow. <laughs> this now. <laughs> this is different. <laughs> There's something about this when this now, this is bone of my bone. This is now flesh of my flesh. This. You're going to call her woman because she came out of man. There's even a bigger play on words there in the Hebrew. <laughs> you see, man is I-S-H, ish. Woman, ish-ah. <laughs> I'm going to call her ish-ah because she is out of ish. All of it, the close association, wow, <laughs> out of all of God's creation. Man, I haven't seen anything like this before. He brought her to man. And you know what? The next verse, the next word in verse 24 is, therefore, whoa, as a result of what God had done, and as a result of what he had done for Adam, wow, he hadn't seen anything in all of God's creation like woman. For this reason, shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. The first divine institution of God, marriage. A man will leave his father and her mother. Not breaking that one relationship, but it's going to be different. Now, he's got to take the authority and responsibility for his own home. He shall leave. He shall cleave to his wife. Literally, it's one of the strongest words you can find, strongest words of joining two things together, permanent and unbreakable never to be separated again. At this point, separation wasn't even considered. Divorce wasn't even part of the idea because sin hadn't gone that far yet. That came as a result of sin later. He's going to leave. He's going to cleave. They're going to be one flesh. Nothing else. One flesh. A complete unifying of two parts into one whole. It's the strongest of Hebrew words that are used here to indicate a complete change of state. You see, they're no longer those two. They are literally one in life, one in purpose. God's foundational principle for the home is one man and one woman joined in holy matrimony to become one flesh. It doesn't include all society's variations. It's not one man and multiple women. That don't work. It's not one woman and multiple men. That don't work either, ladies. It's not one man and one man. It's not one woman and one woman. It's not even one man and one woman outside of the bonds of marriage. You see, this is the foundation it's being destroyed in society. The homes are being destroyed. It's all being broken down. One man, one woman joined together as one flesh in holy matrimony. Of course, 
that one flesh. It also includes and implies that intimate relationship that is proper and complete only in the relationship of a husband and a wife. One man, one woman, joined as one flesh in holy matrimony. And from that one flesh, children. 128, be fruitful and multiply and replenish. Now he's telling them how that is to be accomplished. Now, every man and every woman that are married don't have children. Just as every man and every woman in the world aren't married. But folks, remember, those are exceptions to rules, not the norm. God is laying the foundation for the home life, for how that life is going to continue, for how that this world will continue to be replenished. He's laying the foundation for the home. But he also has specific plans for each individual. He knows whether you're able to bear children or not. He knows whether you're one of those few that may never be married. What he's saying, though, is that children, that's the way the world is polluted, and they're born into a home that is made up of one man and one woman, joined together as one in holy matrimony, God's foundation. You can read on down. Our time is running out. You see, marriage, matrimony, children coming from that. Man is the head. Genesis 3.16, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Can you imagine, ladies, giving birth and there being no childbirth pains? Because of sin. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And he also says, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, we talked about that a lot when we were there, what those desires to the husband might, might be. But he says specifically, the husband will rule over you. Whatever God included in all of that, he left no question that the man was going to be held responsible and be accountable for being the head of his home, for leading in that home. Now, sadly, many times men don't lead. And if it weren't for the ladies stepping in their place, there would be no leading. But God had a plan to husband, wife, being joined together as one in God. Children coming forth from that, the man being the one that is responsible in that home. And also, if you read on down through verses 17 and 19, not just to be the boss, but the responsibility to work and supply for that household. God had supplied for him his food, everything that he needed. But now after the fall, he's going to have to work for it. The sorrow mentioned here to the man, ironically, is the same as applied to the woman in the previous verse. Foundation is laid for a man to work hard in the sweat of his face to supply for his family. God holds him accountable for that. One man, one woman joined permanently as one flesh in holy matrimony and through that union of one flesh, children being born, 
that will eventually follow that same pattern with man directly responsible and accountable for the leadership of the home and working hard to supply the needs for his family that they might be met. And there's one final one. hope you really like this one. <laughs> Chapter 2, the first three verses, God set the example he said, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made rest. <laughs> you see, marriage, matrimony, two, one man, one woman being joined together permanently as one flesh in holy matrimony. And through that union of one flesh, children being born to follow that same pattern, man responsible and accountable for leading that home in the way that God wants it to be led and working hard to supply for his family's needs, but also making sure that he plans this thing called rest, not just for himself, but for his whole family. There needs to be a time of rest, of relaxation, of just togetherness, of being away from all the hardship. It is hard work. And homes don't just build themselves. There's an awesome amount of responsibility there. But God wants you to rest as too. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Even as society destroys the foundations that God has given, in all of these things, whether it be for God's word, his existence, his creation, for the human race, for the accountability of man, for home life as God meant it to be, many people say that we're just old-fashioned and out of touch. That's not the way the world works today. I want to give you something that, ironically, I heard on one of the talk news stations yesterday, and they were talking. And they were interviewing a woman that was trying to defend uh, women priests and women bishops and all of this stuff. And they were interviewing others and both points of view and all this. You know, what really struck me is on the one hand, uh, all these polls and statistics and everything will be throwing out about what people wanted and how life had changed and people wanted it this way now and the, the church was so uh, out of touch and everything. And this lost, lost newsman went back and asked, he said, oh, he said, look, he said, I don't read the Bible. I don't pretend to. But he said, I don't understand what you're saying. If the church is supposed to be about proclaiming God's word and what he wants, what difference does it make how many people want this and how many people want that? What difference does it make whether it's relevant to society if the church is supposed to be saying what God says in the Bible? Even the lost world sees the inconsistencies. I say to you, they may think that we are out of touch. Folks, it's only in God's word that you'll ever be in touch. In touch with God and the principles that he's laid down for us. I wonder today, what choice, what choice will you make? If God is holding you accountable, first of all, for your sin, 
which we've seen. You are accountable yourself. Are you willing to do anything about that today? Because in actual fact, you will do something about it just as they did in Athens. (laughs) You'll either reject it, you'll try to put it off, or you'll receive it and believe it. What will you do today? Will you accept God's truth? That yes, all have sinned. You are a sinner. But that doesn't mean that you're worse than us. It just means you're the same as us. We're all from the same seed. We're all sinners. We've sinned and come short of his glory. None of us match up. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can accept him today. And I pray that you would do that. You don't have to leave here today in that state of uncertainty. Christian, I am amazed sometimes at how much Christians can be influenced by the philosophies of the world and the world's ideas. We need God's principles in our lives and in our homes. And we need to get back to those foundations that he's given us. And I'm saying to you, is a fundamental, a foundation of the Christian faith are the principles that God gives us here in his word. Christian, have you failed God in your life? Have you failed to take the stand because people might think you were out of touch? In your home, have you failed men, women, taking your responsibilities seriously, living life as God meant it to be, Have you failed him? Today, I promise you. He says that if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you those sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you go to him, he's waiting with outstretched arms. Mm -hmm. 